your curmudgeon fuck of a host shift in December back in 2020 you remember way the fuck back then I was trolling around through the pipelines of Twitter and I found an absolute gem her name is Mo Monique and when I asked her what her last name is she said Garvey like Marcus Garvey and that she's married to a direct descendant of Marcus Garvey because the universe wouldn't have it any other way And I said, well, that's your fucking bio for my show. And she said, yeah, I love it. So follow her on Twitter. Her handle is Mo underscore the writer. Neither I or Good Morning Mayberry necessarily endorse the views of Mo or any of the guests on the show. We are having conversations here. We're talking about stuff. And in this particular episode and many episodes to come, We'll be getting into content I don't know jack shit about. Yet, I engage in conversation. So, if anybody on the program says anything that upsets you or pisses you off, go email us at connect at goodmorningmayberry.com. Now, for this episode, I want to say that I hate and know almost nothing about statist politics. I reject it and I'm repelled by it. So I look for people who gently challenge me with information so that I know more about the world and who I share it with. And uh, now you get to hear our conversation. Uh, yeah, I am super out of it today. Um, <laughs> you know what? It's, it's this time of year. It's the Twilight Zone between Christmas and New Year's. I was listening to like the Twilight Zone radio show this morning. <laughs> and then I was listening to an interview with Rod Serling because he's uncle. <laughs> okay. All right. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And then like my life has been a little twilight zoney lately where I'm like on some kind of vibe and then someone says something this congruent with the vibe in like a, like a scary on point way. I get it. Um, it, it's, it's been interesting. I've been interested in, in seeing how people are reacting, you know, in this time, how they're, what they're doing with their, their energy. Cause I feel like at the end of the year, there's just so much there. And then people uh, tap into it in very interesting and sometimes odd ways. Mm-hmm. How so? so I've been seeing a lot of that. Um, so one of the things that I've, I've recently been seeing, I saw something today that made me, uh, I think, tweet this out. I don't think I tweeted it out. I think I put it on my Instagram. But I've been seeing a lot of people uh, participating in... Um, uh, oppression Olympics. <laughs> Ooh. Right. And that has been very interesting to me. Uh, I, I'm watching it unfold in real time. And I'm like, where did this energy come from? And why I describe is everybody it to on the Because I might be one of them. I might be one of them. Tell me what you're seeing. So uh, I saw yesterday, there's two things. So um, have you seen the movie Soul yet? No. Okay, so it's on Disney Plus. It has Jamie Foxx, and there's a there's another guy who was I think he wrote the the screenplay, and I think his his last name is Powers. His first name escapes me, 
but it was a it was a cute <laughs> little movie. <laughs> uh, it was a cute little movie on on Disney Plus. I haven't seen it yet, but I've, I've seen you know uh, people's responses to it, and I do want to watch it. Um, but the movie is about a black guy and you know his experience living life, and then having some sort of event that takes him to the uh, pre life. I guess you know not the afterlife, but the before life. Uh, where everyone's soul goes is goes to or is is manufactured and so he is uh it's a very interesting concept so there i think part of the movie there is some some situation where the character morphs from his physical body um which is a black man into like some celestial being and so, you know, people were just really outraged at the fact that, you know, he was not a black male character throughout the entire movie, uh, even though he was voiced by the same person and all that, you know, um, and, and we can infer that he was black because we saw him as a black man um, and all of the uh, erasing of the humanity. And I'm just like, I mean, it, it, I, I, I get it, but I, I feel like this is, is reading a lot into something that's just a children's movie. Maybe I'm just a little so paranoid. Is the, is the assertion that like melanin is deeper than skin. I'm is the what did they want to see? You know what I'm saying? Like if he if he's out of his body, what are they looking for? That he's part. a celestial being. And so I personally have not seen the connection made. I have not seen where anyone has said, hey, you know, because I honestly what you just said would have been like, Ooh, I like that. Let's talk about that. Melanin is deeper than just the skin. It is the essence of who we are. It is the soul. That's something that I could get behind and I could be like, huh, that's a novel way to put that. But it was just basic sort of, you know, uh, black erasure and, um, you know, people being angry about it and hmm. how dare they not make it exactly to my specifications, even though the movie is literally called soul. And this is a conceptual <laughs> uh, animation uh, of what that would look like. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm a very critical media consumer, but also I'm like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, what more could they do for a movie? It's called soul. It's about souls. Mm-hmm. They introduce you to a black man so that you know mm-hmm. where the soul came from as we're exploring it <laughs> from like a really, we're like really one dimensional as far as our capacity to perceive even our own souls, yes. let alone somebody else's. <laughs> um, or is that even the same thing? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, absolutely. Are we both the same soul having a conversation in different bodies right now? Who knows? Uh, I mean, you know, I think I know sometimes, but then I'll change my mind. All of the things that you're bringing up are, are valid and existential and worth considering in ways that we... <laughs> have not even scratched the surface. That is not what these people are talking about. <laughs> no, no. People are always so simple when they get in some... I, I, well, I always wonder, though, if they're not able to reach inside themselves and actually grab what's got them fucked up. Probably. I actually had that happen this morning. I was fucked up on something, and it took me about five different levels of, of like, uh, like blowouts, like, like, <laughs> like informational, like, process blowouts to realize why I was mad five minutes ago and I do another one and be like, Oh, 10 minutes ago when I was mad, it was this. Mm-hmm. And then it all kind of circled back into let's not be billionaire apologists. Really? Oh. You know, that was a simple one, but it took five levels of like, 
you know, what am I mad I, that's about? A, that's a, you know, I, 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 of course we, we met on Twitter and, um, you know, we have been following each other. And so I, I know we're seeing, and we're in the same sort of uh, sphere, Twitter sphere, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I know we've been mm-hmm. seeing some of the same things and that, uh, that billionaire apologist thing is so weird to me. I don't Very understand strange. people who make it their business People who make, you know, let's let's just be real. The average American is living paycheck to paycheck. Eighty percent of people can't afford, I think, something like a four hundred dollar emergency. How are you doing the bidding of someone who could buy your entire lineage, both pre you and post you? Mm. Wow. I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's an act of violence. I got blocked by a black queer, a coon. I was calling him a coon, which I argue <laughs> I, I assert I is not word. a slur. I love it's that. not a slur unless thief is a slur, you know, like, I don't know. I'm here for the pushback if people want to challenge it, but I'm Instagram automatically censors the word. Like mm-hmm. I can't post any comments with the word mm-hmm. coon unless I put spaces in between every letter or a dot. Wow. You know what I'm saying? I can post all the end bombs. I won't. Anywhere I want, in any context I want. Interesting. Interesting how you can't host the N-word, which let's be let's be clear about this. I feel like as black people, we have remixed that word seven seven times from Sunday, seven ways from Sunday. You know, I know when someone's using it to mean something extremely derogatory. I know when someone's using it to be uh, it just 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 to have conversation. And so mm-hmm. I understand the offense around the word. Like, I'm not obtuse about it. However, um, I don't know in any way to convey that someone is a coon without saying that. And if the N word mm-hmm. is considered more, like, I'm not even saying the word, right? I can say coon and I don't have any sort of, you know, political or personal connection to that word. And then because of the cultural reference and everything around the N word, right? Mm-hmm. I am socialized to just use it in that context instead of just saying the word. And right. what's crazy to me is on a platform, they would not censor something that has a historical context in the way that the N-word does, but they would another word that really is something that us Black folks use to denote something that is occurring in other Black people. Yeah, well, and the thing that we're noting, it's a security culture breach. It's a person Mm. whose behavior and ideology is inherently incarnate, just a breach of security culture. That's all they do. That's all they are. So the security culture breach is, is giving massa access, you know, Mm, like that's, that's my theory about why they don't like that word. And so as, as far as like security culture, um, explain a little bit about that. Well, in order to call someone a coon, they have to be acting like a coon. Right. It's not something that just comes up all the time. Exactly. Uh, 
Yeah. And it's explicitly, I use it when people are defending rich white people. It's not just whiteness in general, unless somebody's being overtly rich. If someone, and I don't even explicitly and only use it on black people because I liberally use all words Yes, as it makes sense to. But Coon generally, I don't think of it outside of dealing with conversations with black people because I expect fucking more from them. Um, Like I expect them to not just apologize for the obvious problem, then talk about the problem in these circular fashions. It's boring to me and I'm like allergic to it. mm. So I just compulsively start. It's like a sneeze to say like the word coon and it's like (laughs) something gets in my nose and then it comes out. So it can come out of other cultures, other demographics, whatever. Um, but generally it's a pollen that only comes from. Well, that's interesting. It's interesting because I, I, I agree with you on, you know, using words liberally and not um, denoting them to certain uh, race races. And I'm also that way about, uh, you know, words uh, that are typically used to as slurs against, you know, uh, gender. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I especially mm-hmm. love the word cunt. I don't think most people like it, yeah. but people to me, it's gorgeous. I like the word because it gets across exactly what needs to uh, exactly the sentiment I am trying to convey. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I say to someone, Hey, you're being a cunt male or female, you know that you have breached a line. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know that your behavior is offensive. Whatever you said, whatever you did, it's offensive. And I'm going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I don't, I think more people should use that word. (laughs) No, I think so too. And I think honestly, I'm here for like more profanity everywhere possible because politeness is a tool of oppression. It is. Yeah. Coon's a four letter word, but it's not a cuss word and they'd be treating it like it is. And that's another, it's like techno fascism, amped up racism silently and exponentially. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here looking at the volume of this creation, this massive thing that's just obelisking in the middle of us all. And being told that I'm a little crazy, I'm a little over the top for talking about it so much. But I think there needs to be more dialogue around that. There's just so much. We In, in our pre-interview, we talked a lot about like this whole uh, PC culture, kill your mm. heroes and all that sort of stuff. And I think... This year, especially, you know, it's interesting that we're in 2020 and so many veils are being lifted. And I hope that that continues into 2021. I know people have hated this year. Mm -hmm. I have had my ups and downs, you know, on a personal um, note, but I feel like this year has done a lot to lift the veil, especially where politics is concerned. It should have. Now we can talk about, you know, liberals and people who feel like they're left-leaning and how they are still on that steady diet of, you know, CNN, MSNBC, (laughs) um, and, you know, all things political in their camp, right? If it's in their camp, Mm -hmm. then they feel like, well, I'm safe. This, this person has my, they, they share my values because all of that is just, you know, it's bullshit. It's rhetoric. It's marketing. Mm. And, People have not gone beyond, you know, they have not gone beyond to to that fourth wall, so to speak. Literally. And a lot of us on the left have. 
So now we look crazy, right? We look like the, you know, if you're, if you're doing the whole Dorothy thing, we look like, you know, um, the wicked witch and all, you know, and the, and the, because it's just like, they dropped the house on our sister. Exactly. So, <laughs> like, come on, you know, and they're still like, I don't know this. You guys are, are, are way, you know, you, your, your thoughts and your theories are, you know, we just can't get it because I'm safe in this tent. That's the thing. I'm safe in this tent of Biden, you know, representing something that I want him to represent. He doesn't represent any of that shit. But if we buy into the marketing okay, so of that. What, what has got to be going on in the heads of people who had a list of hard lines that they were like, no, we'll push them left. We'll push them left. Which I just, yesterday, something clicked for me. If you're pushing someone left, you're on their right side. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm dragging motherfuckers left. At the tone <laughs> and volume and pace I am. I don't have time to keep up with all these people lying about what they're doing. Exactly. You know, why would you bother to push somebody left if you're on their right side? You're going to pretend to. Like, so. And that's the thing. The Democratic Party, the Democratic Party is, is, is not a left party. It is a center right party. And so saying, well, we're going to push him left. How can you, when you're on the center right, you are trying to drag him to the right and leftists who are saying, well, we're, I'm voting for Biden because he's better than Trump and I'm going to push him left. I'm like, this is not, you're, you're living in fantasy land. If you think they're literally inside a tent and we're yeah. just outside the tent and it's a, it's just a, a nylon between them and us and they won't acknowledge it, let alone cut through it or go out the door or recognize that we're outside. Like, cause they could be on the left side of that tent, but that tent's still on the right side of a field or, you exactly. know, what I'm, like, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's so weird to like have adults act like they're not, living in a complete fantasy like they might as well be describing the universe in like like mario rhetoric (laughs) it's it's interesting (laughs) i've seen a lot of people you know again watching stuff unfold on twitter especially in this last week it has just been very eye-opening um there has been you know the force to vote and there was a complete breakdown of people who were, um, you know, leftists, self-proclaimed. And then when this particular force to vote uh, strategy started being kicked around, people lost their shit. They were angry. What is force to vote exactly? Because I did see the hashtag come up, but that was after I decided that I'm fasting off of that type of cuisine. (laughs) and good for you you missed you you missed a a a heck of a of a dialogue of you know people personally smearing um other leftists Mm. smearing one another like it was just it was insane so force the vote is basically a strategy to say hey nancy pelosi if you would like to be speaker for another you know two years uh, what we need you to do is we need you to call to the floor uh, Medicare for all to be voted on uh, by Congress. And so a this is a policy that people have said that they support, right? There's a bunch of people who signed on and co-signed bills and so on and so forth. And it's easy to co-sign a bill because you never have to put your money where your mouth is. 
What people are saying is, hey, we ought, we ought to know the people who are really supporting this and the people who are like Kamala Harris, who are going to be co-sponsors and co-signers on the bill. But when they get their chance to, you know, elevate up the food chain, they say the hell with that. I'm rocking with whatever's going to get me to where I want to be. Mm. Forcing the vote is a way to do that. And then if Nancy Pelosi won't um, force the vote, then there are people, you know, there because there's such a slim margin between the um, between the Democrats and the Republicans. So uh, even though the uh, Democrats are in the majority, they don't have a super majority. And so if a handful of Democrats say, I'm not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi and no real Republicans are going to be like, yes, I'm, I'm for Nancy Pelosi for a speaker of the house. She loses her speakership, but because they still have the majority, it doesn't go to someone on the right. So this is the disingenuous argument that was being made is that, well, if we force the vote and Nancy Pelosi loses, then, you know, I think, uh, some representative McCarthy, I think, um, is, is, is going to be the person who, you know, swoops in and takes the speakership, which is bullshit because the only way that happens is if there are Democrats who vote for him, which they're not. So it's a power move. It's a power move to expose. This sounds like a nightmare. It does. But I feel like I don't like any of these people. I don't know anything about <laughs> like any of them but Pelosi, really, and Harris. But everybody, everybody else involved, you didn't even give names. I don't it's like just, Yeah, I mean, Kevin McCarthy, he's a, he's, he's a Republican. That's who his name is. His name is Kevin McCarthy. He's a Republican. Don't, don't, don't know too much about him. Um, but because he's a Republican, people are like, we don't want him to be Speaker of the House. I'm like, all right, whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's still not that much of a chance. You know, you can have someone like Ro Khanna, You can have someone like Barbara Lee. You can have someone who people will rally behind on the Democratic side and get them pushed over the line to speakership and get Nancy Pelosi the fuck up out the paint, right? Because mm-hmm. that's ultimately what people are looking for. They're looking for a change in leadership. And they're also looking to see who really supports Medicare for all? Are they just saying it on paper or is that something that they are really going to go to bat for? And we're in the middle of a pandemic. And if you pass it in the Congress and they don't in the Senate, you know, then it, it looks a certain way. And people are like, we don't want to play politics. This is a, this is a nation that impeached a dude over a conversation that really wasn't all that big of a deal. And they did it for the optics of it. They knew they weren't. They knew the Senate wasn't going to impeach Trump. They did it for the optics. So don't talk to me about how optics don't work. Well, optics are the only thing that consistently works. Exactly. What? If optics yeah, didn't work, right. then Biden wouldn't be in the position that he's in if optics didn't work. Totally. I mean, I personally lost my entire life because of optics, because I wandered my little ass down to Occupy Oakland, and I was not prepared for the way the media was going to literally reprogram my family and my friends to not trust me. Yeah. Like really like it's yeah. Optics Mm -hmm. matter. They didn't believe the stories of what really happened there because they were, they were shown the same like fucking 45 second clips on repeat for weeks. Um, yeah, it's amazing that people dismiss the power of propaganda. Yes. Yes. And that's what it is. People. And there were lots of people on the left who, you know, are high up on the food chain, so to speak, you know, the blue check leftists. Um, and a lot of them, unfortunately, a lot of these we people, talking social media. Yes. A lot of these people were, uh, black. 
you had mm. folks like Ben Dixon, who is still um, on a, a rampage, got to the point where he himself, you know, implied that uh, uh, Bri, uh, Brianna uh, Joy Gray was a coon. And I was like, mm, mm. I don't feel like that's um, the truth, uh, Benjamin Dixon. I don't think he knows what that word is. Oh, he knows. Projection. That- that, He's projecting something. on purpose, though. Is it on purpose or is he having a <laughs> meltdown? You know, and it was a little of both. You know, it was literally seven days of, you know, and, and people were had a lot of disdain for the first force to vote um, rhetoric because Jimmy Dore was someone who was calling to attention um, this particular strategy and people were losing their minds. They're like, well, Jimmy Dore, you know, is drunk on his, his TV show. And I'm like, well, it's his TV show. We can do whatever he wants. <laughs> you know, or people are like, you know, I don't like Jimmy Dore. It's like, who the fuck cares? Is it a good strategy or not? Why are we getting lost in the Jimmy Dore conversation? And that is when it spiraled all to hell. That's when you had people who came out and had personal vendettas and I hate Jimmy Dore. And let me tell you about the one time I met him and he said the blah, blah, blah is the strategy. And Justin, I think Justin, uh, Justin Jackson uh, or Justin Johnson, one of the two, I can't remember exactly what his name. I think it's Justin Jackson. Um, He was someone who he plays for, uh, he plays for, I believe San Diego, uh, the Chargers and, well, the LA Chargers now, but there'll always be San Diego Chargers to me because I used to live in San Diego. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so he was someone who was uh, very forward in, you know, calling AOC to the carpet in this particular situation to say, hey, what do you think about this? This is how we we feel like this should go. And then she, you know, gave some pushback and I don't remember the substance of her pushback, to be honest with you, but it looked real sus. I do remember that. It was just like, "Mm, I don't think it works that way, but, um, you know, it was an interesting exchange between the two of them. And my whole theory is that if you hate, um, Jimmy Dore, uh, this, this, this JJ guy is also someone who is, um, speaking up on behalf of that strategy as well. So if you hate Jimmy Dore, just look at JJ and say, okay, well, this is his plan. Let's just, let's go with it. If that's the only, if Jimmy Dore is the only thing that's keeping you from thinking that this plan makes sense, then just call it somebody else's plan. Who cares? That's that thing though. It's that parasocial relationship. You had said sycophantic parasocial relationship, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, the, the parasocial relationship our thought process, our biochemistry, our feelings are deeply influenced by our proximity to observing people who are not directly a part of our life. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the time we look at it and we're like, oh, that's like an obsessive fan. Like we look at the extremes of positive elements and what draws people in, what what gravitates them towards the thing that they have the parasocial relationship with. Mm-hmm. But in this instance, it's very clearly that people are willing to harm themselves uh, to avoid associating with a person that's not near them. Like that, it, there's no real proximity other than their observance of that motherfucker. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. I mean, you know, you had, you had people on, on, on all sides who were going hard in the paint for whoever they were, standing at the time, whether, whether it was Jimmy and there were some people who were, you know, rational in the middle who were like, listen, I don't like Jimmy Dore either. 
but I think this plan makes sense and here's why. Or I like Jimmy Dore and I think this plan doesn't make sense and here's why. Or I don't like Jimmy Dore and I think the plan sucks, but not because I don't like Jimmy Dore. And so there were a lot of these, you know, different mm. ideas and, you know, um, you know, exchanges happening on Twitter, but the loudest voices are the ones that have the most followers. And those were voices were amplified. And those were the ones who had some extremely problematic ways of dealing with this particular strategy because it was attached to someone they didn't like. I saw someone else, um, you know, who is a blue check person and, you know, they were really going down the rabbit hole, tying race to, you know, the strategy and, you know, Jimmy Dorn is a racist. And I'm like, I don't feel like that's, first of all, I don't feel like that's true, but let's say that that is something that is worth considering. What does it have to do with this particular situation in this moment? And no one could give me the answer to that. Now, whether or not that's yeah, going to be asked that question. Exactly. Because it's like, let's say that is true. And that is something that you have observed or you have some insight or you have some information about. Great. Number one, why was this the first time that anybody has heard this information? And number two, how relevant is it to the conversation at large? Is Medicare for all something that is not going to benefit black people? Because if that's the case, right. then yes, you bring that in. But that's not the case. So why derail it on something that you have not cared to discuss previous to this? And it's not like Jimmy Dore is someone who's never in the news. He's, he's constantly, you know, uh, being brought up by people on the left, the right, and, and everyone in between. Mm. So it's not like this individual didn't have the opportunity to bring that to the, to the surface beforehand. It's just they chose not to. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he's kind of radically centrist. From my observations of him, I haven't looked at him much. I'm barely familiar with who he is as a person. Like I, I get his role, you know, more than I don't know that I would. Himself. Yes, I don't know that I would say he's radically centrist in that. Um, I don't know that he is, you know, abolish production lines and things of that nature. I don't know how left he is. I know that he supports you know, legalization of, you know, weed. I know he supports Medicare for all. I know he supports, um, a couple of other positions as well. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily call him a centrist, but I wouldn't say that he's, I I would say maybe he's a social Democrat. Yeah. I misspoke. I meant a, a radical rational, which is a term I'm, I'm just like, you know, populating into (laughs) <laughs> use at this point in time I love um, but yeah it's uh you know there's logical people that can see through the bounds of like it's like Hatfield McCoyisms everywhere it's just these like tensions that we were born mm-hmm. into and then tra- entrained into and like folks that just don't really have the mental energy to pick up all of those battles like for on behalf of what you know yeah um so yeah, folks that can do that, they, they think through things, but then it makes it easy for anyone who's not agreeing with them or who's wanting to criticize them to put them in any spotlight, like, or like any category. Yes. Like, that is a very, very full circle moment right there. It's that there is a rational take on certain things. And if you are of the mindset 
that the rational take, if it's not coming from someone that you like or respect or is on your same team in your tent, so to speak, then it's easy for someone outside to say, well, this person is, yeah, they're speaking truth and, and, and it's rational and here's how it's harmful to this side. And then the other side can claim the exact same thing, which is extremely weird. And I say this because I have seen people and I remember during the entire you know, um, election cycle where I would just say the most rational thing, like mm-hmm. Trump is not a uniquely bad president. And people would be like, so you're a Trump supporter. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I just said <laughs> he's not a uniquely bad president. I can name you 17 things that he's done, Obama's done, Bush Sr., Jr., uh, Clinton, and then I could put in Trump's, you know, uh, underwhelming accomplishments in that. And then if I were to ask you to assign, you know, whose traits go where, you would be able to see very easily that he's not uniquely bad. There's a lot of things that other people have done, other presidents have done, even presidents that you've liked, where it has not been for the good of the people. And it's against what they say they stand for. But because they're in your tent, you feel like, well, that doesn't apply. It applies to every fucking president, whether you like them or not. It's so hard to have that conversation with people. Um, I figured out for myself what it is that chaps my ass so hard about that narrative because they drag the narrative into like a whirlpool in a fishbowl. Right. It's not going anywhere. And it's just Mm -hmm. spinning really rapidly in the same location, drilling down. The thing about it for me is usually they they'll be like, okay, if they're going to be like, okay, they'll be like um, Eisenhower and Reagan. Right. Also not uniquely terrible, but look Mm -hmm. at the uniquely terrible things they did. Right. And I solved it today because I get into it with people and it goes into these just devolved. it's like, we're both just like tantruming because <laughs> we're not even like once the connections missed and the attempt to continue engaging, uh, it perpetuates. Everybody's just in various degrees of meltdown yeah. pretending to be adults. Yeah. Um, I seem to be a, of a rare breed of adult that will raise my hand and be like, Oh, I'm, I need a nap right now. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, uh, I've learned through Twitter that it's it's better to it's better to tap out than than to melt down. I I've I've watched people yes. melt down in real time and there are people yeah. in the comments gently saying, just go ahead and log out for me, boo. It's time. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, watch your blood pressure. And they just, check on your brain chemistry. They, they, they just Reset keep going. It. And it's so weird. Because the thing is, is you can back off and the data will still be processing and you can calm your nervous system down and re-engage. Or if you are carried on and move on to a new channel of life that is productive and awesome, what you encountered fuels the things you can develop and work on in the future. Mm-hmm. There's no point in spinning your energy out. Absolutely. But I think- yeah, that's the thing that I figured out today, actually. I had this <laughs> moment because I was in one of these conflicts and it just kind of came to me like, dude, the thing is, is like, okay, like, if these uniquely terrible quote unquote presidents that did these things, these ways that created the opportunities for predators to prey upon us, what can we use in those tools that they introduced in the world that are law 
to pull energy in a direction we want. Mm-hmm. Like, is there a conversation for that? If we're, you know, I, people don't want to do that part because it makes no. them work after. Yes. They don't get to just sit in the dirty, dirty diaper and whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, it's, and it's easy. It's easy to rage. It's easy to get yourself whipped up, you know, into mm-hmm. this whole emotional frenzy and, then try to pull other people into the emotional frenzy as well. I have seen that also. I have seen where people are like, here's my position. I stand firm in this position. I'm going to recruit 12 other people who are going to come and defend this position. And anytime someone tags me and stuff like that, I'm like, I'm not arguing your position for you. Like you got this. This Mm -hmm. is just because again, from a rational viewpoint, you walk into this, the conversation and you're like, yeah, both people have points. No one wants to hear that. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, oh, yeah, you know what? You seem like an asshole right now. This person has a point. And hey, to the other person, you seem like a cunt. And this person has a point as well. <laughs> no, one wants to, no one wants to hear that. <laughs> they don't. They want to pick a side. And they want you to pick a side also. And that is the thing that drives me nuts. You can pick a side. You can decide that you are going to be on the side of defending oppression Olympics all day long. I don't have to, and I don't want to be made or forced into that either because it's not a useful, it's not useful. uh, It's not a use, a good use of your time. And it's definitely not a good use of my time. But Mm. if we're talking about, you know, what I will and won't do, I don't feel like we need to force people into these boxes. And that is become indicative of politics and everything else in life. It's just like, I want to put you in this box. And if I can't put you in this box, then I don't have a use for you because it's going to make me work too hard. And people are lazy. They're afraid of not putting data in a cage. Maybe if it moves around, it might sneak up on them. (laughs) I don't know. I'm used to this activity in my mind. I'm trying to figure out what the fuck they're afraid of Yeah, or like resisting, anxious about. It's familiarity that they're drawn to, but there's Mm -hmm. something... You know, I mean, people do keep choosing to reprogram themselves over and over again on the same and new content, which makes it difficult to even conceive of the notion of kill your heroes. Like people, a lot of people panic right away at that kind of rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, but like kill your heroes and kill your, kill your enemies go hand in hand. And they're both like, you know, an internal process. And it's, I, you it's do like, external things with it, but it's communicational. <laughs> yeah. There's a freedom in that too. Yeah, um, but freedom scares people. Mm. That's why they like to say they have it while they're in a cage. That is very profound. And that is something that we are seeing more and more. I think that people are, they cling to the, you know, the freedom, you know, trademark brands, right? I'm free Mm -hmm. as long as I have my house that the bank owns. And if I miss a payment on, they're going to take it from me. That's freedom, right? (laughs) I'm free as long as I have a job at a corporation that could easily pick up and move to China because production is, is, is cheaper and they're going to get more money because shareholder cost is the only thing that they are are beholden to, right? I'm Mm. free if I can send my kids to school, but only if they're vaccinated and I agree that we are going to learn, that they're going to learn the things that are going to put them in this cage with me because that's our freedom. Yeah. And so, you know, mentioning vaccines, people get freaked out about this whole virus situation. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we're giving up in order to function. And it's like, we, we really need gave them up in, in the, 
for freedom, right? But now it's such a com- that's such a complicated thing when you start when you have safety and freedom in mm. the same container, you can't really do the math of either one of them independent of the other. Exactly. And everybody's unique like the things that we need to feel safe and comfortable and the things that we perceive our world consisting of, that's all different shit. Yeah. For everybody. And I'm, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I brought that up because I saw something in the, in the uh, news today that basically said, you know, in order, and, and I don't know how true this is, right? You know, people like to write clickbaity articles. They like to do onion-esque type things. Um, and then, you know, it gets out and it's a rumor. And before you know it, it grows into something where people are like, oh yeah, I heard that too. And it all started from some satire site. So, you know, keep in mind, I have not vetted the source, uh, but something around the lines of, you know, in order to travel in certain instances, you are going to need proof that you have had, um, you know, uh, this panties, uh, (laughs) vaccination. And so, now it's, and that, that could be true. That might not be true. Yes. You'd have to have shots to go into other countries. I've traveled and lived abroad and you have to have your tetanus and measles, measles, rubella, mumps, that sort of thing. So this is not anything terribly new. It's just something that's new to us and anything that's new to us. You know, there's going to be some people who come up with the conspiracies. There's going to be some people who blindly comply. Then there's going to be folks like, you know, you and me who are in the middle that are like, well, wait, what other trade-offs are they going to ask for? Mm-hmm. That's really the thing about it is people seem to go to these extremes pretty loudly, which makes yes. sense. You know, in certain instances, panic, go ahead. Uh, no judgment from my ass, at least. Um, <laughs> The thing is, is like, um, chill a little bit and talk about stuff, you know, is kind of where I'm at, uh, about everything that freaks me out. You know, um, I, I guess, I guess I just am, I've never seen such a dramatic psychological transformation as I have over the mainstream narrative. And what I mean by the mainstream narrative is like the people in my life and what they are saying personally about their trust in the idea of a vaccine as I have with this. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I work with people in public health and it's, um, it's weird because they were all like hard. No, I would wait a very long time and make sure that it was safe before mm-hmm. taking anything mm-hmm. and the, the, the tone of the conversation at the time, it was like, you know, we were all kind of looking at the, at the human behaviors and the, the statistics and just uh, like projecting that this was all going to go on longer than we had initially thought. Yes. So the narrative wasn't even about there's a possible vaccine coming in a timely fashion. People were thinking, the reasonable timeline of a vaccine will apply to this and it will be like a year or more before we're even having this presented to us. Absolutely. So the rapidness of it freaks me out in general, like anything major change related, minor changes freak me out. I, I handle (laughs) them, but like I notice the shit out of them. Right. And the way people are thinking is something I'm noticing a lot. I think specifically because I, one thing that being raised by 
religious people who sheltered the fuck out of me arbitrarily. Like certain things were off limits, but there would be loopholes in different ways for different things. So like the way that my brain is used to consuming media has served me so well during this wild period of time because I'm applying the principles and tools of it exactly where I need to. Right. Uh, And generally, even if I am keeping abreast of the mainstream buffet of data, um, I usually still see the zeitgeist transformations that happen as a result of things in a way that other people do not often see. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been, it's been interesting to watch unfold. I've known some people who have personally, who have gotten, uh, the vaccine and, um, some of them are in healthcare. Some of them are older. Uh, one of them is my mother who, um, is, you know, pro everything that the government tells her. (laughs) So, so having, so having me for a daughter, it's definitely been some interesting times for us both. So I'm getting to see, you know, what that looks like up close and personal, but, Again, I I just am interested in how this relates to people's individual freedoms and and what we are giving in exchange for those freedoms. Uh, I'm old enough to remember, you know, the meltdown that happened after 9-11, which, again, I thought was very appropriate in terms of some of the some of the things that were put in place. Right. But, you know, it's been 20 years almost and, you know, we're still taking off our shoes. You know, uh, TSA wasn't a thing before 9-11. Most people couldn't remember when TSA wasn't a thing. TSA surely has caused a decent amount of terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) To me personally, I don't really fly because of TSA and it's not anything I'm doing, like mm-hmm. it's the way that they handle me when I get to their gate. I, I tend a, to get singled out for extra searches. It's a, it's a uh, jarring experience. Um, you know, yeah. as, as a, as a black female, I have, you know, had every hairstyle under the, in the book. And, uh, a lot of times if I'm flying, you know, that's the first place that I think they've recently passed rules where it's like, please stop looking in black people's hair. They're not smuggling drugs, oh my. you know, it, but that was kind of, <sighs> I don't know if that was the reasoning behind it, but it was just like, I mean, I I'm going through the scanner. I have box braids. You can see my scalp. What possibly do I have? Uh, yeah. it's just a very odd experience, but yes. So we're still taking off our it's shoes. Infuriating. We're still doing all of these things and it's been, and no one has put, no one has said, you know what? Maybe we should let people keep their shoes on. No one's even circled back to that. So that's the, that's a whole process that I, it's like everybody was okay with it. Just slowing the fuck down significantly, Mm -hmm. significantly. You used to be able to run to the airport with five minutes to spare and hop on your plane. If you were bringing a carry on. Yep. You could walk your loved one up to the fucking gate. Yep. You know, like now no there's ticket. all these other systems have to be employed. People who are disabled and need a chair have yes. to get like an employee of the airport. They have to have a whole system around managing certain people even getting there. Yes. It's wild. And it's, 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 it's again, initially we were like, okay, 
this makes us feel safe. But then at some point, when it, when does it, when do we circle back and say, this is not necessary any longer. It was necessary in a time, but it's not necessary any longer. And I fear that what's going to happen with this situation that we're currently in is there's going to be all of these things that seem necessary now and are necessary now, but there's never going to be the circle back to say, we don't need this anymore. Why are we still doing this? Honestly, culturally, we don't have any support for media literacy on a practical level. And I think some of that's to a degree intentional, but I think some of it is also just like our society hasn't technologically developed enough to have it. Mm-hmm. Like communicationally, socially, technologically. Yeah. You know, for example, we have memes now. We didn't always have those to communicate right. a lot with very little time and energy. Yes. So effective, right? So like there's things probably that we can just, they might just happen. Like memes just kind of happened, mm-hmm. you know, like people made them happen, but it's just the way art evolves. Right. I think it's just a matter of like noticing a problem and, and being in the right position to have a potential for and an interest in like bridging gaps. Right. Yeah. I guess. It's, I mean, it's, it's something that I think about often when it comes to, um, you know, there's always trade-offs to live in the society that you live in. Regardless, I mean, there were trade-offs, cavemen had trade-offs, right? That, you know, women were, were doing certain things, children were doing certain things, men were doing certain things. There was trade-offs to live in certain societies. And if you didn't like the trade-offs, you know, at that time, you know, you could just go off on your own, do your own thing and find somebody else who wanted to do that and start your own society, right? Mm-hmm. We're in a, an established world. So there are trade-offs to some of the things that we experience, some of the some of the freedoms even that we experience. But at what point do we need to have a, a, a rollback on some of those trade-offs that are no longer serving us as a, as a community? And I'm not talking about the ones that do serve us, right? You know, there are certain things that they do serve us. We have laws, you know, against, you know, child uh, trafficking and things of that nature. And those are things that, you know, evolved out of the sickness of the societies that we live in. But, and that's a good trade-off, right? Like you shouldn't be able to traffic children in order to live in this society. Great. Let's do that. That's, that's something we can agree upon if we're not all, you know, sick people, but there are other trade-offs where it's like, uh, do we really need to take our shoes off when we go to the airport? TSA was able to do their job and stop the dude who was trying to bomb it with the shoe. I understand we all felt safe for taking our shoes off, but for the love of God, we're, we're past that now. <laughs> People are always going to come up with another way to get around the thing, stopping them from doing the thing. Yeah. it's Especially it's- people that are going to hurt people. Like that's like, They'll just keep trying. Yeah. It's not as though they put in that, you know, shoe restriction. Everybody was like, darn, all these, you know, manufactured shoes that we have that we were going to put our bombs in. Now we can't do that. Problem solved. Let's go home now. Like, (laughs) of course not. We're 20 years in the future and like people with that energy are going about their fuckery different ways. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it just creates so many weird you know, it's just such an aggressive space to be in the airport now. Like I, I, I barely remember traveling before nine eleven. Yeah, it I, was just I, so different. It was. It yeah. was more like a mall. My my dad was in the army, and so we, we traveled a lot um, by plane. And 
um, internationally as well. And, and one of the things that I remember is, you know, grandparents being able to, you know, come up to the airport, you know, with just come in as we were getting off the plane. Hey, hello, how are you? You know, mm-hmm. um, and receive you, you know, in a very, uh, it, it was just a very nice welcome home. You know, you could, um, it was iconic as like a, it was like a monumental type of activity. Yes. That you came know, along with traveling by plane. Your airport. person like greets you at the gate and they have like a sign or like a yes. smile or like a, a gift or like, it was, it was a lot of, you know, like going to the airport was like, Ooh, we're going to the airport. We get to park our car and go in and, you know, watch the planes take off and wait for our loved mm-hmm. one to, you know, disembark and all of that. And now it's just like, you go to the airport, get the fuck off the plane as fast as you possibly can mm-hmm. get out of the terminal, go collect your bags, go find your parking. That is a maze and get away from that, um, you know, facility as fast as possible. That is the experience now. I don't let, I'm really cautious about using incarceration rhetoric as a metaphor, given the current state of our bullshit culture. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's pseudo incarceratory as a process. Like you go in and you get booked in and go through the threshold. Yes. And then you're in. And, and like they're, they're, they're strip searching you. They're doing not really strip searching, but they're patting you down and, but they can strip search you. you. They have dogs, you know, drug sniffing dogs. Now at the Atlanta airport, they have dogs. And I'm like, I just, what is happening? Those body scanners too. I was there when they were beta testing the, like scan your whole entire body thing. Right. And, uh, I played with it with them. Cause it was like a low key. I was, where was I like Virginia or something? And it was just Mm -hmm. mellow. And I was doing, uh, I was waiting on like a standby thing, like plane planes were leaving, going in my direction, but I was like, "Mm, not that one. Okay. For sure. And finding other things to do with myself for a whole night. Uh, and we just scanned me over and over and over again. And then they scanned themselves. And I looked at their scans in contrast with mine and like, it was a game. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they employed it for real and yeah. it became an obstacle I had to travel through. And, uh, you know, people, pictures of it on the news. It's, it's very bizarre. I remember that being an iconic moment too, of being like, Oh, they just are showing like genitals on, on channel two now. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. That's and somebody's genitals right there. <laughs> like, yeah. And people are like, well, we don't really look at it that way. We just, and it's just like, I get it, right? It's clinical. But that is, to to talk about the incarceratory rhetoric, but that is very similar. Not the same, but it's very similar in how a lot of that is really the rote, not just the rote, like, you know, drills and and, and things that um, they're inputting into society, but the way it makes people feel the coldness, the detachment, right? Like I said before, your family could come to the, to the airport. It was, a, it was a lovely place. You know, you guys could have like your little, the restaurants could receive people who were mm. on the plane, you know, and people who were coming in, you could have a nice meal before somebody, you know, departs and all that other sort of stuff. Now it's just kind of like, you know, just get in, you know, do your business you know, sit in this little, you know, and, and we're going to call it's, it's, it's just very clinical in the way that it is. It's very detached. And I'm not, I'm not expecting, you know, to, 
um, you know, go to the airport and for it to feel like Disneyland or, you know, whatever. I'm not, you know, or the beach, but I'm just, I was just thinking though, it's kind of like theme parky. They raise the prices on stuff. Like it's a theme park. Once you're through this gate, you're trapped in here and don't have a choice, but to buy it our way. And here's our way. And that's the same thing that happens when inmates are in prison. Mm-hmm. When you're in prison, you get, you get, mm-hmm. you know, if you have enough, you have enough, you can survive, right? If you have a generous family member, um, who is consistent with putting whatever on your books, then, you know, you're good. But if you, if you're not, then you're not, you know, I've seen people in the airport, you know, especially, oh my God, I used to travel a lot when I was young for work and, you know, I was making a decent amount of money, but there would be times and I, you know, sometimes I was fucking my money off and it was on me, but there would be times that I would get into the airport and I'd be like, I really don't want to spend $10 on a bagel mm-hmm. when I know I could bring this in and it's only going to cost three fifty. but I didn't have enough time because if you're not there at a certain point in time, they're going to lock you out. It's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a mind fuck. It is a mind fuck. I mean, I'm actually, we're fucking me up right now because I'm seeing it so clearly as this like pseudo incarceration network. You get like in, in a prison system, you get things on your books and I, the, um, but in like a- airport travel, you just buy it yeah. at different rates. Yeah. yeah. But if you can afford that premium membership, when you get to the airport, you get streamlined in. And you get VIP areas to be in that make that incarc- that pseudo incarceration less painful. Yeah. And honestly, I just had this conversation with someone else when I was talking about, you know, um, clear, right. There is a, there is a, um, uh, there is a, I don't want to call it a program, I guess a service. Uh, there's a service at the airport that is called clear. And it's basically you pay a monthly fee or a yearly fee, um, for the privilege of not having to deal with the bullshit. And so I have a membership to that, but I, when we bought it, I was like, here is the capitalization of freedoms, things that weren't necessarily considered commodities until freedoms were taken away. So now mm. I go to the airport and I can Whoa. pass through things. Oh, God, wait. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. That hit me in the gut. <laughs> I can pass through because I can afford to. Yep. And, that, and that's why I say when we are inching closer and closer to certain freedoms being taken away, what are we trading off for that? Because the people who have money will always be able to buy it back. But the people who don't will not have that freedom any longer. Mm. it's a hell of a conundrum it sure is it's I mean it just you know it it just and the only reason I was able to ponder it is because I was in a position to afford it and it made me think about all the times that I was not in a position to afford certain freedoms your lived experience in different worlds gives you a unique advantage to synthesize calculations based on data not everybody has access to. Indeed. And I feel like that is one of the reasons why I go hard when it comes to, um, you know, being on the left. 
it's not because Mm -hmm. I in some ways feel as though I lack. I feel that we all do because we don't all have the access that we should. When my dad was in the army, Mm -hmm. we had free health care. We had housing that was subsidized. We had, I went to private schools, all of these things, because my dad, in exchange for that, said, I'm willing to die for this country if you give my family these things, right? Mm. And growing up, I thought everyone had those things. I was born into that. I didn't know anything different. Mm. I didn't know people had to pay for health insurance. I didn't know people went without health insurance. I didn't know people had to pay for the the dwellings that they lived in. I didn't know people had Mm. to pay... Uh, for anything other than cable and the, the, the things that they wanted to do, the extracurriculars on the side, because that's the only thing we had to pay for. It wasn't until my dad exited that I was like, oh, shit, everything is accessed through cash and capital. Everything. How old were you then? My dad didn't leave the military until I was 15, but Mm -hmm. I didn't start to realize that until I was through college Mm. and into my second job because my first job, I was a union organizer and I had the same, they were like, we are going to give you a salary. We are going to pay for your car. Your health insurance is free. All of these things. And I was like, well, this is just standard. I didn't realize it wasn't until I got my second job at a nonprofit. And they were asking me about how I wanted to pay for my health insurance. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And that's when I was like, oh, wow. And things got real, real, real fast. (laughs) Right. That's a lot of, that's a lot of like, um, like experiential, like burden blessings. I'm using the word burden blessings a lot. And I don't know why we haven't had something more efficient, but I'm going (laughs) to offer that to the community. Um, but it, it just, it just lands you in this position where you have such phenomenal opportunity to like really make new things in the, in society, in the world, new, new thought, because, yeah, I mean, that it, people talk a lot of shit. Most of the time they talk about radicalization, even when it's being uh, looked at as a positive thing. It's it's generally cast in units of trauma. Right. Right. Like, when did you become radical radicalized when I had surgery and they billed me for three hundred fifty thousand dollars? You're like, whoa. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I could I could point to all the moments of that in that same light, but I've really just started looking at it all myself for myself and everybody that I see is also going through similar processes. Uh, like what a fucking opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, especially cause you seem to be having fun with it. I like to challenge people and I like to, to, I like to challenge the notion that people have, of leftists, right? Because if you're talking to someone who's on the right, they think a leftist is someone who just wants, you know, access to other people's money. And it's just like, Mm. I don't need your money. I have my own, right? Like I found a way to, you know, do what I need to do in this parasitic capitalistic society to get my needs met, right? I don't need your money. 
So that's not why mm-hmm. I, I feel the way that I do. And then on the left or, you know, or just liberals in general, they're just thinking, well, you just are poor and that's why you feel that way. And I'm like, no, I hmm. can go to brunch the same way you can. I just want other people to be able to take be have their basic needs taken care of. And then beyond that, even beyond their basic needs, like we need a UBI, we need Medicare for all, we need legalization of weed, we need, you know, qualified immunity ended. We need a lot of things, right? And that doesn't go just to, you know, giving someone a check every month and then, you know, that'll make them happy. If you give somebody $2,000 a month, great. But what about criminal justice reform? What about, you know, um, their health care? What about uh, the schools and the education and all of these sorts of things? It's just like the money is, is great, right? Money helps, but it doesn't solve, right? Like we got to get creative about how we solve things. That's the thing. I feel like the assumption is that it's got to be charity still. Yes. To solve these things. And it's it's about stop stealing, stop parasiting, stop coming around with these. You know, I, I legitimately saw somebody posting about the eviction moratorium in New York. And my son, he's a landlord. Y'all need to understand this is his only job. This is how he feeds his he family. Like he needs to get a real job. <laughs> For real. Like, real girl. This, I mean, the fact that uh, somebody could proxy wine that hard about that shit, like, I don't know. I'm just, it's the weirdest thing to be like, I'm going to be an industrial parasite. And then somehow that role does it just like engenders them more cultural respect It's crazy. in their little incubators. They, it's not even real respect. They just roar so loudly that they, they dampen out everybody else's voice. It's, it's crazy. I saw that tweet and I was just like, I just saw, and someone, <laughs> I think it was Ken Klippenstein who was like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he should get a real job. And, uh, right. you know, that was uh, definitely a highlight tweet <laughs> and people really enjoyed it. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's just like, you know, if you are against the people that you need, how super are you? Like if there's an eviction moratorium and you feel like, you know, you should not have to. And first of all, that also goes back to that freedom thing, right? Like you're a landlord that's your only job that gives you time freedom. But when people don't pay, the bank will still take your property, quote unquote, your property, and it's no longer yours. So how's that time freedom really working out? That trade-off really working out for you? Well, and with all that freedom, why don't they have one of their little fancy place, multi-course meals and have a conversation about how they're all going to galvanize their power to approach the banks and push up Exactly. Instead of stomping down, exactly. on, like trying to squeeze blood out of a rock. Why not try to make it rain from the sky? It doesn't like, make any sense. It's like you're trying I to. I don't get it. I agree with you. It doesn't make any sense. They have the technology beyond just their own voice. Is right. You know, like. It's odd. And so, yeah, you have people who are like, well, this eviction moratorium is going to suck for us. But it's like, but you should have. When. They said they were putting a a moratorium on evictions. What you should have done is you should have, like you said, organized with your fellow landlords to press the bank and also for your fellow lobbyists. I know that realtors and and, uh, the real estate industry and the rental industry at large has lobbyists. Why wasn't there anybody to say, hey, you're giving a moratorium to these people. 
That's awesome. How about you cancel mortgage altogether so that we don't have to collect four and five months of rent from people who don't fucking have it. And you have enough to write it off because these are our tax dollars that you got bailed out from in 2008. Now we need you to bail us out. Nobody wants to take responsibility at that level because they're afraid their part, their note in the system will actually buckle and like dissolve. Um, it's, I think it's a faithlessness. Yeah. In, in like human persistence, like we're going to be fine, but people keep panicking and making decisions based on scarcity illusions and maybe reality when they look at it on paper too. A lot of the time, actually, I don't want to discount the math of it right. um, as they're looking at it, but they're not calculating. They're not accounting for everything. Mm-hmm. I have a, I, my production assistant who is also on some episodes I've recorded, but have not aired yet. Eugene, he has a lot to say about specifically how capitalism cannot account for all of the energy expended in mm-hmm. order to uphold the systems of capitalism. Exactly. And at, at different times, people come up with ways to kind of tool in rhetoric to explain something like domestic labor, for example, didn't always have a union, didn't always have representation, Mm -hmm. uh, somewhat recently is being respected as an actual industrial field. Yes. And not just woman's work or whatever housework it applies to, you know, these estates Mm -hmm. that have staff on them to, to any scale, one, two, 20, um, those people all unionized together and, that's a whole neat technology that we have in law now that didn't exist before a bunch of problems and then a bunch of people solving based on how they observed and experienced those fucking problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and by problems, I mean like, you know, starving for like multiple days, right. weeks, maybe months in a row, like being malnourished, having like health issues that they can't get handled because they don't have any, access to medical anything uh the people they live around do they're Mm -hmm. an island of lack of resource (laughs) um it's so weird to live in this culture it is it is i think it'd be easier if it was admittedly the way that it is yeah i think uh first step to improvement is often acknowledging Mm -hmm. you can't improve what you don't acknowledge We've all, we've been fed the, you know, U.S. is the greatest country of all, but it's not feeling so great right now. And we just need to be honest about it and get on with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely the kind of mentality as a, a person who's got a bunch of physical and mental health, like chronic things that I've had to cope with and heal from. hmm the the notion of like not referring to myself as sick mm. when I'm sick. Uh, that's something I had to process around. I was very defiant about it for a while. And then I had a bunch of realizations that got me to a place where I was able to hold space for that without it taking over all the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like it's liminal to be sick. It's not a state that is continuous throughout my life state. Yeah, it's fluid um, like everything else. Yeah, it's almost like if people admit the country's sick and admit that they are sick, 
that they're that way forever. I think that's the thought process, but it's wrong. Hmm. Yeah, like if you have a cold and you're acting like you don't, it gets worse. If you just go home and drink the hot liquids and rest, let your body focus on addressing that crisis, Mm -hmm. then you can get back to your actual life a lot easier and faster with more resilience and energy. Yeah. Trying to burn through it, not only does it elongate it, but it creates additional, additional points of trauma for the body to need to process on its own. Yes. I just, I just, it made me think like, um, you know, the America's is, is having a, a breakdown and they're just trying to, uh, tweet through it. Mm. It doesn't work. <laughs> Aww, we're so cute. Oh man. Me too, America. Me too. Same bitch. <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> America she's so crazy I'm gonna miss her as much as I'm gonna miss 2020 when she's gone uh, seems like maybe. she might be on the way out but you know maybe from all things that die new things emerge that's the thing you know what's funny I was thinking about all the people who won't admit or believe in that America is dead <laughs> after America's died and like how many of them are in Washington D.C. Oh God! Currently yeah. acting like America's not dead and like doing all of this shit they're doing theatrically on TV. Yeah, um, like no, let her go. Oh, we, we will rebuild, like we say in Florida. After every hurt, we will rebuild. Like just rebuild. Right? They don't know because they never send FEMA fast enough, and it's always <laughs> you know. Anytime there's a big disaster, they like they never get to see what it's like to. Yeah. To really fix something. Exactly. Oh, man, that never, that never really occurs to me. It's like I think of it occasionally, but that's that opportunity thing I'd be talking about where it's like, man, they really don't. They just can't. They've yeah. got too much power and not enough know-how. Yeah, they got to they gotta, they gotta look at things from a different perspective. Like, you know, America that emerged after World War II, you know, uh, mostly through uh, socialism, <laughs> is mm. going to be sustained in some way through that same system. And I think that they are just railing hard against it. And it's going to take someone with that sort of FDR, like, I don't give a fuck. You're going to have to make me do something else because otherwise, you know, if FDR wouldn't have, have done what he did, we would be very much worse off. So you know, there is going to have to come a point where someone just stands up and says, you're going to have to force me to do otherwise. Other, You're going to have to force me to do something. Otherwise, I'm going to go ahead and take, you know, take care of the people because you don't have an issue without people. And you don't have people, if they constantly are sick and underpaid and uh, stressed and mm. overworked and, you know, mm. high and <laughs> mm. all of these things. Well, and on that note, Uncle Bernie's in play again. <laughs> he's he's so flipping tables right now. So interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works. Uh, I'm not one of those. I'm not one of those leftists that hates Bernie. I think he has been, you know, fighting a good fight for a long time. And he has. Yeah. Um, you know, I commend him and respect him. He's just a white guy. Right. He didn't yeah. have to do any of that. He could have just coasted on, you know whiteness and you know failed upward for the rest of his life 
Yeah, no, I got I got respect for a motherfucker that manages to cling to a pipe that's trying to flush it out. I mean, you know, you know it's, it's yeah. It, could he do things better? Certainly, absolutely. Who couldn't? We all could. So I mean, you know, but that's, yeah. just, that's just, but that's again, that's that. What is that? Radical rationalism. <laughs> uh huh. There he is. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um. There's so many things on my list that we were going to talk about. Not so many, but you know, there's a couple things we didn't. Hit. Uh, and I'm fine with that. That is good because I uh, I'd love to have you back on. I know. I feel like the conversation was so organic, and talking to you is it's like therapy for leftists. Mm, that's how I like it. I like it. That should be a, a podcast. Therapy for leftists. We need it. Therapy for leftists. <laughs> I, well, I'm I'm planning to launch several. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, people like different flavors at different times, and I like uh, I like choices. Yeah, but I I have enjoyed this conversation. I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy your perspective, and thank you for uh, giving me the space to just be raw. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for all your kind words. Thank you for all your brilliant ideas and perspectives as well like i uh i'm just i'm like living for these radical rational perspectives i love it we'd like to thank our patrons on patreon and everyone who's bought our merchandise find the links to all that stuff and our social links on goodmorningmayberry.com we've got closed captioned episodes on youtube subscribe listen and rate us on all the podcast spots if you're wondering who we are we is me and my demons and you can join the Legion by following our Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram, jumping on the Patreon, or just buying one of our shirts and wearing that around, drinking the tears of whoever you like the least uh, out of one of our mugs, and uh, coming back and checking out the next episode. I'm Shift, and always remember to never forget. In order to call someone a coon, they have to be acting like a coon. Right. It's not something that just comes up all the time. Exactly. Exactly.